Hi, I'm Noel Holzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. I made this podcast to bring attention to the entrepreneurs and innovators in Canadian business. Every week, at least at the start, I will be sitting down with someone who is leading their industry, pioneering a new product or service, or just making important things happen. Join me as we go from the corner office to an open concept. This week, how do you drive change that lasts? I've always liked to have a plan. I still like to have a plan. My kids will joke once in a while that the worst thing that could happen to me was not having a plan. My name is Camilla Sutton. I'm CEO of Women in Capital Markets. In March, on International Women's Day, Camilla Sutton tweeted out a stat that was both appalling and dispiriting, though not particularly shocking. It came from a 2010 study in the American Economic Journal. I'm paraphrasing here, but in essence, it said that seven years after receiving their MBA, the best and the brightest female grads earn, on average, less than half of what the top guys in their classes make, 40% to be exact. Think about that. These are the women who are graduating at the very top of their business schools, i.e. they're already seriously leaning in, and yet they're still getting left behind. Camilla spends a lot of time thinking about these kinds of things now, though hers is definitely not a story about getting left behind or falling short. Camilla's 25-year-long career in Canadian banking culminated in her running Scotiabank's foreign exchange business, an all-encompassing role that saw her overseeing some 20 global trading desks around the world and a team of 180. She stepped away from Scotiabank last year and in January took over as President and CEO of Women in Capital Markets, an organization dedicated to accelerating gender diversity in finance. What exactly that means and how it will look is only now becoming clear. One thing that is obvious is that Camilla is not the person you pick for the job if you're trying to maintain the status quo. Since joining the Women in Capital Markets, she has embarked on a top-to-bottom rethink of the organization, its mission, and how it can be most effective. And while she's doing that, she's getting the message out to corporate Canada that much more progress is needed. So I ran global foreign exchange, both the trading and sales side. I did it by putting my head down, working really hard, dotting my I's, crossing my T's, and always wanting it. So I knew I wanted to move up in the ranks. And I don't think that that's an issue at all. I think that that's a really positive story. And part of what capital markets faces is that a lot of people, particularly young people, look at capital markets the way they see it in Hollywood. So they see these movies like Wolf on Wall Street, and it's a very male-dominated, boorish environment that isn't attractive to a lot of people, including some women. And so I think part of what the issue is, is that we need to shift that perception. So some of what I do now is bring high school students down for job shadow days where they actually get to be on the trade floor so they can sense the feeling, which isn't the same as Hollywood would depict it at all. And I feel like myself, I had this really incredible career, very challenging, very rewarding on so many levels. And that's a really good story for women to hear. Right now, I should say for full disclosure that I know Camilla because we belong to the same swimming group. We're in the water every Monday and Wednesday morning before 6 a.m., and although we're in the same pool, she's in a different league. Camilla is always in the fastest lane. I'm one over, so I see her fly past. I will note that that is by your choice, because you swim as fast as we do in the fast lane. Not that I'm accusing you of being lazy. Jokes aside, I think this is a metaphor in some ways of her rise in capital markets, the fact that she's always in the fastest lane. 
Having grown up in Toronto, Camilla went to Dalhousie University in Halifax to study international development. After a relatively entry-level stint in banking, she returned to school, earning an MBA at Western's Ivy School of Business. As Camilla steadily ascended the ranks of Canadian finance, tackling everything from equity research to portfolio management, she earned her CFA and CMT. I won't recite her resume chapter and verse. Suffice it to say that Camilla worked tirelessly to succeed. So I started working at BMO in 2000 in equity research in Canadian technology companies, which there's very few of now that existed then. Although in 2000, there was a lot of them that existed. Yes, there were. <laughs> Semiconductors, to be exact. I remember PMC Sierra. PMC Sierra. And Sierra Wireless. I think Sierra Wireless is still around. PMC Sierra pre-announced on the day my husband was going to propose to me. I had no idea he was going to propose, and I called him up and said, I'm going to be late for dinner. And he was very grumpy, and I couldn't understand why, because I was just staying late at work. It should have it should have warned him about the future. So you could you could look at your starting date as either 1993 in, into the financial sector or, or 2000. But for these purposes, regardless, how, how do you feel the industry has changed? And I read that she said, when I entered the capital markets, it was blatantly obvious that there wasn't enough women around. It was a very male-dominated environment. Maybe the, my first question is, what does that feel like? Well, that feels very temporary. That feels like you walk in the door and you realize, wow, there really aren't a lot of women here. And this is such an exciting world. And this is going to solve itself within a few years because you recognize yourself in that world. You recognize that you you have a desire to see more balanced workforce, but you also feel like it's very temporary because the work is exciting. The atmosphere is interested in having more diversity. And there's this overarching sense that there's about to be more women. Did you feel that? Right it, from the beginning. Even in 1993, yes. you felt that? Yes. That this is, and you felt it was welcoming and inclusive? Okay, that's a different question. So I felt like it was an interesting place where you could work hard and be very rewarded. Rewarded both financially, but also rewarded because you're talking to clients, you're dealing with clients. I was in foreign exchange, so you're talking to clients about how do they mitigate a major risk for them. Most of them don't have 5% in margins to give away and fluctuation of the Canadian dollar. So you feel like you're actually helping clients and you're delivering value. Very rewarding. And you really do feel as though everything's about to change in terms of the number of women. Now, is it particularly inclusive? I think that there's a lot has changed on that side when you go back to 1995 to today in terms of what they've done to become more inclusive. Is there still a path ahead? Absolutely. But, and, and not to belabor the point of the change, but did you feel when you entered that this was kind of like a well-kept secret and that it was sooner or later your your friends, the extended network was was going to join the party. Was that kind of, it was just a matter of time? It was just a matter of time. And I can tell you that every woman who I was working with at that time, we were all working on the sides of our desk on diversity and inclusion projects of various sorts, hosting events, doing networking. And we, I think we all genuinely believe that we were adding and changing what was taking place. And the reality is 20 years later, we jump forward and not much has changed. Some pieces have changed, but the overall numbers at the top levels of firms really haven't changed at all. Yeah, well, I wanted to ask you about that, and I, I've got some statistics here. But it seems that you were, well, you are still optimistic. You wouldn't be in the role you currently occupy if you weren't optimistic. But that change that you sort of anticipated in 1993, say, 
it hasn't really taken hold. Why hasn't it? I think that's the best question. I think that goes back to kind of Einstein's thing about if he only had one hour to solve a problem, he spent 55 minutes trying to understand the problem and five minutes solving it. And sometimes with diversity and inclusion, I feel like we just jump to solving it without actually understanding. So I think why hasn't it worked? I don't know specifically. I think there's probably 10,000 reasons. I think some of the bigger reasons are we approached women like they were one person. And so we approached all of the solutions as if well, women need flex time. So then we introduced some odd flex time pieces. Well, that didn't really seem to work. And then we kind of kept trying to solve that way, as opposed to recognizing that you can't just jump to diversity. You really need to build the inclusion piece first, and then the diversity will come second. That women aren't all one box of people, that men and women are all very, very different, and there's probably a thousand different boxes of people, and you need to build a workforce that's really inclusive of all of those. Do you feel that diversity has been achieved or more successfully realized in other realms when we talk about diversity of backgrounds or diversity of ethnicities, diversity of sexual orientation? Has there been gains in that realm? So I don't know what the numbers say. Anecdotally and from observation, I would say there hasn't been a tremendous change there either. I think that when you look in terms of of how we've approached the entire diversity and inclusion piece, it's been really slow to make progress. And I think a lot of that is because when initially we tried to look at how do you solve for this, it was around, well, if we give women more visibility through networking, if we build their networks better through these networking opportunities, if we try to almost fix women to raise their hand earlier, to sit at the table, to do all these pieces, then we'll solve the problem. Whereas the reality is we didn't focus enough on actually what the corporates could do. So in running a corporate, how do I make sure my environment is really inclusive and diversive is very different than how do I encourage women to put their hand up for things when they don't actually feel like that's where they're ready to go. So the the example I would use to describe that is they say, you know, women wait until they're 120% ready to put up their hand. Men wait until they're 80% ready to put up their hand for the next role. Yes. As opposed to encouraging the women to put up their hand earlier, corporates need to have some role in terms of tapping people. So managers need to step in and say, have you ever considered applying for this role? Have you ever considered this project? And I think that that would probably go a lot further than all the coaching we've done on the women's side around put up your hand, step forward, sit at the table. You don't think that that's necessarily getting at the solution? I think that those are interesting strategies and important for women to recognize the differences, but I don't think that taking away the difference actually builds an inclusive environment. I think what you end up doing is you end up with a group of people who are able to shift, um, and then you end up with a very similar group of people, regardless of gender, sitting at the table. Like if you go back to some of the studies around the business case for diversity and, you know, more diverse cultures equal better returns. I think a lot of that could be based on the fact that the culture itself allowed it to create this diversity, which it was a culture that also allowed it to create the better returns, as opposed to the diversity created the better returns. It's the culture that allows for both. So then the challenge is to figure out the cultural piece. The challenge is to figure out the cultural piece. 
as opposed to jumping to the diversity piece? In terms of concrete steps to to enable, uh, encourage more Camilla Sutton's, I know the, the you've grappled or you've discussed the issues of, of quota targets, and, and I read that you, you had said five years ago that you would have not been a proponent of quotas, but now you feel differently. Is, is, is that an accurate statement of where you're at on the subject of quotas? Yeah, I think that everyone, I believe fully that merit-based is the right way. So five years ago, I would have absolutely said that. And when the OSC came out with their complier explain around diversity on boards, I thought that was a very reasonable step. Now, when I look back and see how little progress we made with complier explain, and you look at this year, and you look at their stats, 76% of new board seats went to men. We still have tremendous number of boards that have zero women on them. We really haven't made the progress that I think any of us would like to see. And so I think that that opens the dialogue around, well, what is the next logical step? Is it targets? Is it quotas? Do quotas erode the merit base? Or is the merit base filled with so many biases and flaws that it's not actually merit-based? And I think those are the real questions that now we have to dig deep on. I don't think that comply or explain we achieved what we wanted to. You look at countries that have achieved more, they have implemented quotas. There's been research done that would suggest that the quality of those boards didn't come down at all, but that the people doing the board searches were much more specific and dug much harder to reach a much broader potential audience of board members. And I think those are really interesting learnings. So I certainly think that five years ago, I would have said no way should we have quotas. But increasingly, I feel like the dialogue is moving more and more towards thinking about how is a reasonable way to actually balance these out. And when we talk about merit, are we talking about merit that is merit without biases? Or are there so many biases built into merit that we actually need something in today's world to kind of push us through that? 14% of the board seats at TSE listed companies are held by women. And that number hasn't changed in the last three years. Yeah, so it's changed a little bit by by percentage points. Okay. So it really hasn't changed in terms of material change. And And you don't think that's a pipeline issue? No, like you look at, so you look at ourselves at WCM or Women in Capital Markets, and we have a board-ready list of women that have had fabulous careers, that have had some forms of board experience, many of whom have done official accreditations. I think there's plenty of women who are interested in board-ready, and I think it's really part of it is the boards need to be much more specific when they're doing searches. They need to dig much deeper beyond their own current networks to find appropriate board members. And in some ways, you know, it's funny, I spend a lot of my time with the banks in terms of their capital markets arms. Some of our banks have been leaders in terms of board diversity. I think almost all of them have at least 30% of their board made up of women, and they were some of the leaders in the world to be able to move to that, which is an interesting piece in terms of our banks have leadership on the board front, are dedicated to changing their capital markets arms, but are also really struggling with how can we make change as quickly and rapidly as they'd like. Ten years ago, again, when I was in Vancouver, there was there was a document that was put out. I think it was actually put out in Toronto, a, a board-ready women, right? And so it, it is not an absence of, of women who have been identified who are who are ready to to assume positions it's in my opinion the, the challenge is very much on the side of the 
the boards who are not selecting these women. <laughs> yes. I can't disagree. <laughs> I can only well, nod no, my just, head. It, say... it, just, it makes me, but you're, uh, I, I feel, which is fine. I'm, it's not my role here to, to nail you down in a position. I just feel you're equivocating somewhat on the issue of quotas, right? As opposed to saying, no, it should be 30%. And this is the, this is the directive that we need to go forward. With. Because I think saying that creates, gets so many people's backs up that it almost does a disservice. It creates an argument. Whereas I think the reality is if we really look at the research, the research would suggest that Complier Explain has done nothing, yes. that forcing quotas actually doesn't decrease the quality of your board members at all. And I think right now the phase we're in, we really need to start highlighting that research and highlighting how when you have implemented quotas, we haven't seen the destruction that many people fear. And that saying we're for merit is absolutely true, but we have to really decipher what's built into that merit and how many biases are in there because those biases really become such a hurdle and a barrier regardless whether they're conscious or unconscious that it really stops many so i feel like coming out with like the strong stance of like we are pro boards almost does a disfavor it's interesting because i was at this um we brought in this woman who's very interesting and her company's called Equileap and she rates all these corporates globally on terms of how they are in gender diversity. She has 19 metrics altogether and then she puts together and other firms like UBS, Evolve, a whole host of firms put together these investor products so that you can invest in companies that are more thoughtful around gender diversity. So we had her come in and she was part of what she was talking about was pay equity. Um, and she was highlighting some of the stats around, you know, average median women will make 40% of what a male will make. And at the end of it, one of the men in the room came up to me. He was like, I was shocked. Like all you women just sat there nodding your head. If this was men in the room, we would have all together stood up, pounded the table, said enough of this. We are going to march right down the street and we'll be. And so it was very interesting to see. And I think for a lot of the women in the room, it's. We recognize that, but it is impossible position to put us in to say you need to yes. rise up and march down the street. The reality is together we need to come towards how do we get more women onto boards and how can we have more diversity across all the workforce. And I think we, that needs to be research-led, really thoughtful. It can't be a battle. How do you feel that Canada compares globally? And, and we could look at Canada from Canadian banking or maybe it's, it's perhaps that's a good sort of point of departure the Canadian capital markets. How do Canadian companies fare versus their sort of global counterparts? So it's interesting because Canada, we have a climate that I think is, if you look at it politically and socially, it's far more advanced and forward-looking than many other countries. But yet when you look at the numbers, the numbers are often worse here in Canada compared to either the G7 or the developed countries. I think there's a host of reasons for that, but the reality is Canada hasn't done as well as other countries has done in terms of really driving change within their numbers in capital markets, but also in some other fields. So the host of reasons, can you cite some of those reasons? The host of reasons? I think one is that Canada is a small country with a very small elite, and the elite is so small that typically it actually goes back to things like high schools that were attended. And you don't typically see that kind of elite. In the U.S., you see an elite that's much broader. And so it's it's a very different construct we have because we are smaller. I do think that we suffer brain drains. So we have some very talented people that go south and other places. And I think that's true for women as well. 
But it is interesting when you look at our stats, we haven't we haven't progressed to the same level in terms of numbers of women in leadership position as some of the other countries. And that's true for boards too. It feels to me that's somewhat inconsistent with our national narratives. It is. So the, but we have an opportunity that the other countries I don't think have in this moment, because I think socially and politically, we're far more ready for this. I also think that many of our firms recognize that, you know, 15 years ago, diversity was this nice to have, then it became a business case. And now I think it's become a real risk that they recognize not only do I have the business case risk, in terms of economically, I might be putting myself worth worse off if I don't have a better diversified workforce. But also, I think there's the risk that you see now that we're getting with some of the forced transparency around pay that we're seeing from the UK around pieces of the Me Too movement, all of these pieces create additional risks for corporates. So I think that for Canada, we probably have a moment here where politically and socially, as well as the corporate desire to see change happen, has never been as high or as great. And the real question is, how do you drive that change that's lasting? Coming up, in the wake of politicians, movie stars, media moguls, and corporate titans seeing their abusive behavior come back to haunt them, and rightly so, I wanted to know why so few similar stories have emerged from Canadian banking. On May 25th, the Globe Mail published a piece highlighting eight women's experiences with sexism and harassment at work, but the size and the scope of the scandal is nothing in Canadian business compared to what surfaced elsewhere. On the Me Too movement, and, and I, I, apologies if you're barraged with questions on this every time you, you sit down, but it has emerged in uh, very publicly in the media, and it has emerged in the arts community. Less so, at least sort of in a very splashy public way in banking in Canada. And is that because it doesn't exist there, despite it being a male-dominated culture or traditionally male-dominated culture? Or is that that it exists, and yet it's such a conservative industry that there's uh, overwhelming uh, reluctance to surface those issues? I'm not sure I'm... I can't really speak to how it exists, where it exists. Certainly politically, we've noticed it exists in Canada. Yes. Um, and that's an industry that has no ability but to be transparent when the questions are asked. In corporate Canada, we haven't seen it as much. I think that that's an interesting question to pursue. And I suspect that there's still a tremendous amount of hesitancy. I think when you look at the initial people who brought me to forward, those are bold, brave moves. And I think there's still a tremendous amount of risk to women who are bringing the Me Too piece forward. And I suspect that in Canada on the corporate level, the trade-offs still aren't worth it to bring it forward. But do I really know the numbers? Not at all. I don't think anybody does. I think the, the benefit of Me Too having come forward is that now we have a more open dialogue everywhere, regardless of whether it exists there or not. And I think that it's brought what used to be considered maybe a gray zone to some into clear black and white zones, which I think is positive for workforces and culture. I think so much of this has to go back to culture and what is tolerated in a culture and what is promoted and how cultures are. And I think Me Too feeds right into that. So the Me Too coming to the forefront, I do think ends up being very positive for creating cultural change. It, it seems that when it has emerged, 
there was there's varying levels of sort of acknowledgement that this was you know well kept secret or not a particularly well kept secret but people knew that sort of various transgressions were occurring whether it was sort of a part of a corporate culture or it was the misdeeds of a particular individual but if there had been a an awakening or, or a set of scandals in the capital markets in Canada would you have been surprised that's a big question. I think that what is interesting about Me Too that's come forward to date is that we had this big gray zone, we'll call it, that the biggest surprise for some people was like, wow, this is really wrong because it had been tolerated and accepted for so long. So I think that's one of the biggest awakening moments. And I think we've seen that through some of the scandals outside of Me Too, but through some of the scandals throughout corporate culture in Canada, we've seen these moments where something has been done for years and all of a sudden you recognize, wow, this is actually wrong. You see that in the environment. You see that in some of the financial crisis we've seen around the world in terms of LIBOR rigging or the FX scandals. So there's a host of these scandals that now the the reality is, well, this behavior is actually very wrong and ill-placed. And I think that's one of the interesting things. Would I have been surprised if there was this massive Me Too movement building up in the capital markets? I'd be surprised, yes. Would I be surprised to know that there's a lot of unconscious bias and there's a lot of barriers to women in that to move forward? No, I wouldn't be surprised at all about that. But I think the issues there are very different than the issues that really came forward in the Me Too. Yes, it, and it is that compasses a fairly broad terrain and, and set of behaviors. How much does it, that inform uh, an, an awareness of this now, and not only simply an awareness, because arguably there's always been an awareness, but that it's much more palpable today. How much does that inform kind of the mission of uh, women in capital markets, either from a mentoring or a communications or an advocacy position? So, I mean, what we do is kind of threefold. We try to build the pipeline. We start in high schools, we carry it on in university, and then all through people's careers. We try to be a resource and knowledge center for our sponsors, but also for the broader public in terms of building information and delivering that information. And we try to work with our partners around advocacy, so trying to bring in better awareness overall about some of the issues. So I would say that Me Too itself has shifted what we do less than actually where we are as a society. So I notice now coming in that a lot of the pieces that were really exciting about women in capital markets 10 years ago are less exciting and they actually need to be shifted. So an example would be our name, Women in Capital Markets. Starting with women is a really exclusive type of way. The reality is it should be gender in capital markets. It should be almost anything else in the sense that women alone, we are never going to get there. Fixing women is never going to solve the problem because that's not what needs to be fixed. And having programs that are built just for women, again, doesn't end up driving change. So the reality is what we really need is to figure out genders. And I feel many times that we almost need to redefine both of those gender sets. And so for men, you know, you hear of some men who have taken paternity leave and they tell me they're like it was terrible it's January I went to mommy and me art class where nobody wanted the man in the room and so there's this whole societal shift that needs to take place in terms of how we actually define genders and so I feel like 
for WCM, that's one of the pieces that has really changed. Societies move forward and we're moving forward as well, but we really need this to be a dialogue between everyone. And we also need it to be a dialogue around inclusivity and how positive that is for these environments and how much, how much that creates. Like you look at the financial markets, they've changed dramatically. All of the industry has just forever changed and yet the business models haven't kept pace and they're still struggling with diversity and inclusion issues so there's a host of pieces that if we can fix these it actually is very very positive for the industry as a whole it's interesting though just that formulation because when the 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 name women in capital markets i always understood that if something needed to be fixed it wasn't the women it was the capital markets (laughs) that's interesting i wonder if we took a survey how many other people would see that I need to pause briefly here and note that this conversation took place in early May. At the time, Camilla had just finished revamping the organization's website. The first word that appears when you visit the site is diversity, followed by inclusion, equality, and then change, popping up across the screen. However, if you click around and dig into the profiles of the management team, the board of directors, or the advisory council, the organization is anything but diverse and doesn't seem to have spent all that much time focusing on inclusion or equality either. I think that that goes back to the entire piece around the name. Yes. And when, well, n- n- a little bit. Okay. So let's deal with one side of diversity, okay, sure. which is gender. So certainly we discussed about how the name really would make more sense if we were actually talking about gender overall. And I think when you look at our board changes, uh, which will be announced on May 17th, okay. you'll be pleased to see some of those changes. And then I think that when you look at where we need to go, We've done a lot of, I've done, um, we've had some shifts in our workforce. It's incredible to see the application pool that comes in, highly centric on women. And yet, even when we try to think about that in terms of we need to bring in the male perspective, we've done that through our volunteer committees in terms of having volunteer committees trying very hard to have some men join our volunteer committees around things like programming, around things like how are we engaging men. We have a new uh, membership group called Allies because up until then we really haven't had any men as members and we haven't provided anything for men. Yet I think the, the discussion really needs to turn towards gender overall, but also in a lot of these firms we have leadership, which is male, and we're not resonating and talking to them at all. But as well on, on the issue, and I fully recognize you You took over, what, January 22nd? January 22nd. So, so you've only been there a very short period of time, and I can well appreciate your, I'm sure, endeavoring to make the necessary changes that you feel are required for the organization. But as we know, diversity is, is more than just men and women, right? This is an incredibly pluralistic, diverse city and country. And I'm sure that if you looked at the commerce, business, schools, MBAs, that the composition of those uh, schools looks different from the composition oh, on your board now. <laughs> right. When you look at our board on the website, it changes dramatically come May 17th. Got it. Because May 17th, we add two men, thank goodness, and we also have a man of color. So we're shifting slowly. Yes. This is a bit of a freight chain to shift forward. Yes. But it's interesting when you also look at kind of where we sit, I think one of the things that's interesting 
is if you look at things like pay gaps and how do we fix pay gaps, and you look at what contributes to pay gaps, and it includes everything from women typically ending up in more female-dominated roles like healthcare and teaching, and also happen to be less paying roles. That's an interesting point for capital markets as well, but it's an interesting point for what you raise as well, in the sense that part of what I try to tell particularly high school students and university students is that in order to fix pay gaps, we need women who are interested in STEM, we need women who are being educated in STEM, and we need women who are moving into STEM and finance and all these higher paying fields. But when you reflect on WCM, it's a not-for-profit that falls outside of what we would call higher paying fields. Yes. We reflect exactly that that reverse issue and that we are every single person who works for us is a woman. We've managed to have one intern who is male and we've managed to have several board members who are male and several committed volunteers. But our numbers have a long way to go. Camilla, thank you very much for coming in today. It was great to speak with you about these issues. It was my pleasure. That was Camilla Sutton, President and CEO of Women in Capital Markets. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite listening app. Drop us a review, or let us know a disruptive Canadian business leader who you'd like to hear from. I'm Noel Holzman. You can reach me at nholzman at oath.com, or find me on Twitter at at ngholzman. The show is produced by Stephanie Werner. See you next week.